Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Off the Hinges podcast, your new favorite podcast hosted by two guys that you've never heard of. I'm Marcus. This is Brandon, back again. And this week we are sponsored by no one, because we have a small podcast that needs your help. We need you to go on your Facebook and follow our page, follow us on Twitter. Twitter, you can find us at Off the Hinges PC, that's for podcasts. And on Facebook, we have an Off the Hinges awesome group. Come follow and share it with your friends. And, you know, with you, we could all grow together. I like it. I like it. You know, I, I thought the PC stood for poli- politically correct. Is it not? Uh, no, it does not. I was wrong. If I cared about being political correct, I wouldn't have a show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Boy, that's, that's hard to do today, man, with the... Uh, climate out there what you can say what you cannot say but it is being negative uh, by certain groups will not mention any names truly it's uh, it's scary so i uh i went fishing on lake erie last week hmm. any big catches no it was uh it was a horrible time <laughs> to, to be honest with you uh i decided to go up there to go fishing and uh, I'm friends with a guy that lives up there. And we decided to, instead of taking out the big boat, let's just throw in the little, it's called a John boat. For those of you who don't know what a John boat is, okay, it's about 15 feet long and only about three feet wide. Like barely enough for me to sit on the seat. All right. What is it, a canoe? It's like a little boat. It's a little mini boat. And, uh, we got up to the lake, and as he put it, it was the roughest that he's ever seen the lake. Now, I grew up fishing, and it was the roughest that I've ever seen the lake. And uh, we got a gas motor on the back. We're going, and he's just full throttle. He's getting soaked in the back as waves are coming in. And we are pitching up in the air and slamming down, and I could feel the boat riddling underneath me. It was wow. a questionable decision. Mm-hmm. But I'm alive. I made it. One of many you've made. I made it. Did Did you catch any fish? No. It was to the point where we threw out something and um, we would drift to the lure before we even got a chance to reel it in. It was incredibly fast. Mm-hmm. There was not one boat fishing on the lake. Well, All of them were pulling out when we pulled in. We're like, screw it. Because they were smart. Yeah. Well, it was worth they, it for the boat ride. Okay. Did you Did you get seasick? No, I don't get seasick. Hmm. That's interesting. When when you said John boat, I mean the first thing that comes to mind. I mean, is that like where you take a hooker if you're a John? Anybody? Anybody I, get that? I think it's a military reference. But I mean, hmm. I don't think there'd be enough room for you and a hooker on it. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I I gotta Google a John boat, <laughs> or I'm thinking of a big freaking floating uh, porta John. Think of any show you've ever seen where there's people on boats in like the middle of the Amazon river and you're thinking to yourself, eh, wouldn't be me. Well, guess what? That was me last weekend. It was you and you survived. You, you, you lived to tell. Not, not one of my, uh, smartest, That's a scary thing, man. Not one of my smartest decisions, but I could swim. So I didn't really didn't care. Right. I like to think that the majority of my bad decisions were, uh, left in my last decade, which would have been, uh, the 20s still made some bad decisions in my 30s. I'm still in the midst of my 30s. But 
interesting. Reading an article here that we talked about a little bit off the air before, but talking about a majority of young adults in the U.S. living with their parents for the first time since the Great Depression. The, the majority here, we're talking like 52% of young adults residing with one or both parents, up from 47% in February. So that, that's craziness, man. 26.6 million, an increase of over 2.6 million from February. So those figures are just and from this year. 18 to 24 grew the most, just from this year. Cool. And 18 to 24 grew the most. I mean, I didn't move out of my parents' house until I was 24. So I milked it as long as I could. But I mean, damn, imagine having to move back in there now. What do you think is the, the correlation? Like, number one, you could say it's because the majority of us are going to, to college because, frankly, college is the new high school. You know, everybody wants college degrees and no one wants to pay for them because everyone there that's applying has a college degree. Uh, but you could also think of it as corona, right? Because now you have a time where a lot of people aren't working. These kids are young. Uh, whether they spent their money on going to college or not, they don't have any type of savings. You know, majority of people I know didn't get a job until, you know, they were 16, 17, right? So mm -hmm. they don't have, you know, built up bank account to be able to afford it. And you could, right now they have the whole rent freeze. You can't get evicted. But I'm assuming what's not being said is that all those payments are getting built up and you are going to uh, see the next housing crisis because all of a sudden all of the evictions uh, that we're getting Put on hold or now the landlord's saying you owe us you know eight thousand dollars you know so what are you going to do you're going to move in with your parents or are you going to uh stay there and just continue to rack up debt that's tough man that's tough the cost of education is insane uh, how much it's risen over the years and if you look at how much it's risen it's through the roof you used to be able to go to school and then even work uh, and pay off your college as you worked, working at McDonald's. I put myself through school, you know, roll up your sleeves and get it done. I mean, you can't do that today. Not when you're paying 1200 bucks a credit. Uh, that's right, folks, a credit. That's not when the cost for one of your books is $600. You open the thing once and you just cite one thing out of the book. And then you go back to resell the book. You bought it for 600 bucks and you resell it for 25. Now, even that's the value of it. They even have those rental programs now where you go on and uh, I know I use Chegg and even then it was still, you know, a portion of the price, but it was $150 for that same textbook. Mm -hmm. That's, I mean, hey, God love Chegg, man. I, I got nothing bad to say about Chegg. Chegg has got me through some, some long nights. <laughs> I'm a Chegg user. And what I've learned to do in, in my college career, which is just ending, thank God, to go on and buy the books. Ebooks were a thing of beauty, man. Cheaper. You rent them. What you really need to thank God for is that you are a lucky one that got yourself in a program where you ended up probably having a job when you're graduated. That's, that's debatable. There are so few careers today that I would say, I mean, I got a kid, he's two. But then again, in the grand scheme of things, 15 years away, 15 years uh, goes by like this. Let me tell you, the older you get, but uh, there's so few degrees today that I would tell my kids to pursue. The, the rule of thumb for me, and my wife and I talked this over, the rule of thumb that I think of, if it doesn't say the name of the field, the name of the job on the degree, then you're wasting your money. 
if you get a degree in mechanical engineering, that's the degree. That's the job you're going to do. If you get a job in liberal arts. That, that is what my degree is in. And I do not have a job in liberal arts. What, the, what is a job in liberal arts? What are liberal arts? My degree is in history. But I think English is also in there as well. Uh, I could be wrong, but you can check me in the comments, people. But uh, I think the main problem is, is, like, yeah, you have a degree, you have an accounting degree, you're going to be an accountant, right? And I think that is a great general rule of thumb that you said, because I got to tell you, a lot of my friends that have general degrees don't have jobs in what they studied. No, nowhere near. How many people, show of hands at home, how many people know somebody who went to school for four, six, whatever the hell years in their stock and shelves at Walmart? You know, they're there because for a reason. They didn't find a job in that field and they realize it sucks and they can make more at huge conglomerate retailer, Walmart. You can make more there, better pay, better benefits, whatever. Just to touch on something I said earlier, I do honestly feel that college is the new high school, right? Before, when you were going to college, you got accepted to college. It's because, you know, you were the smartest in your class, right? Not only that, but, you know, you're a very smart individual or, or you're very gifted at something and you had to, you know, take an entrance exam and, and get into college based off of how well you did. I think they realized at one point, the money-making potential, uh, I think, you know, Sally May had a lot to do with it, but they realized the money-making potential on it, and then they just started flooding the gates, let everybody in. Now, all of a sudden, everyone, you know, working basic jobs at, you know, Walmart and Target and even Sheets, they all have college degrees because it's not worth any more. I tell kids that are in school now, you know, I tell them, you, know, you need to almost go to graduate school. Graduate school is a new college. Don't plan on making it. Like, look at me. I have a college degree. And uh, frankly, I work a job that you don't need one to do. So do 90 other percent of my friends all doing the same thing. Unless you know mm -hmm. someone and get your foot in the door or you're friends with someone that, that already works in that profession. If you ask me, I live in a fairly large market. I mean, Pittsburgh is huge. Not as big as Philly, but it's pretty big. You know, I feel like around here, unless you know someone, you're, you know, working at Sheets with a college degree. And that's why the push is mm -hmm. to have the minimum wage, you know, go up because not only are people not buying houses, they're not buying cars, you know, that that's a bigger take on the economy to me than anything else because these kids, including myself, aren't able to afford it. So how's this for a statistic? Marketwatch.com. The average price of an undergraduate degree increased almost sixty-four thousand dollars, hundred sixty-one percent since nineteen eighty-seven. Nineteen eighty-seven, roughly your undergraduate degree, thirty-nine thousand six hundred forty-three dollars. Twenty sixteen, hundred three thousand six hundred sixteen dollars. Now that was possible in eighty-seven. Work at McDonald's, work here and there. You get out of school, you have some loans maybe. Maybe you owe ten grand or whatever. You pay them off in the first three to five years of, of getting a decent paying job. Now you get out. You've got a mortgage before you get a mortgage. You've got 30 years of student loans ahead of you, and you're getting out making nine bucks an hour. Half of Americans make $10 an hour or less. That's insane. What it is, it's a travesty. Amen, brother. 
You can't live on that. How do you fix it? Well, do you raise the minimum wage? How many can, businesses go under because you raise the minimum wage? You can raise the minimum wage, but then inflation's going to happen. You know, they're going to use that for Not an excuse to charge, to charge $8 for a loaf of bread. Mm-hmm. And how many small businesses, small to medium-sized businesses, can pay their employees you know, $15 an hour to begin? And that's the minimum they're going to pay. What are they going to have, two employees? <laughs> that's unrealistic. So the, the issue is, I mean, this is the land of I'm not going to knock democracy, I'm not going to knock uh, capitalism. It works when it works, and it doesn't when it doesn't. And you've got a few people in this country making a lot of money and a vast majority that aren't. Do you limit the admission levels of colleges to, I know this sounds very anti-American dream, but do you limit the you know, acceptances of people at college to kind of balance out what is going on? Do you say to these colleges, you know, you're only allowed to accept, you know, 8,000 students this year? How much black would there be from that? It's a little risky. Obviously. But that's, then you're having the government control education, not that they don't all, that $600 textbook that you're buying, obviously, you know, the publisher's getting their cut from that. Why is it that specific book? And so on down the line. But that's every American's right to go to college. Is it, but, but is it right for every American? Is it right for every American, right? Um, what if, in a way, did you kind of unmonopolize colleges? You know, make it so that that college isn't benefiting five, ten times the fold for the amount of money that it actually takes to go to college. Do you widen that back? College is supposed to be an investment, not a gamble. It'd be fair if you went to college and you say, all right, I'm going to put this much money down. You know, it sucks, but um, I'm going to graduate. I'm going to be 23 years old or whatever I am. I'm going to go out. Economy's booming. I'm going to get a good job. Make up for it. It's all good. And that's us is uh, 20 and 30 somethings looking back at our parents and grandparents saying, well, Christ, it worked for them. They got to come back from the war. Grandma and Grandpa had the Second World War. Our parents had the Vietnam War. They get to back from that. Not as wasn't as a, a glorious return from the Vietnam War. I mean, make no mistake. But you still came back to a different America that exists today. You could at least go to college on the GI Bill, have a pretty good chance of getting a pretty good paying job. GM, Detroit's still pumping out vehicles. Our area here, Western Pennsylvania, the mills are still banging. Even if you don't go to college, you come back and get a good paying job. But now college is such a, a, a gamble. The cost of it is so prohibitive. If the cost of tuition were to somehow stay in line with the, a realistic salary, what you're going to get what you get out, because, I mean, you're going to get out and make 10 bucks an hour. So by that logic, college should be, you know, that four-year degree should be like 30,000 bucks, not 130. Let me ask you a question. Now, this is just a straight-up conspiracy theory, so this is not what I believe. It's just a conspiracy theory. Had to say that again. But do you think the rise in the price to go to college is a ploy to get more young people to join the military? Um, I mean, what, to to avoid going to college so they, they sign up for the military? Well, not avoid going to college, but the military, you know, help, helps pay for your college. Mm-hmm. You know, so they're trying to push people into it. You've got something that is you know, otherwise prohibitively expensive. 
for the average human being that doesn't come from exorbitant wealth. You take out private loans and you're screwed. Uh, sure. Hey, sign up. We'll take care of some of the lo- loans for you. We'll, and and also, I mean, I think other parts of the world where military services is mandatory. You had to sign up for the draft here, but why make it to where, you know, because I mean, you could say that if you're drafting people, that's going to come with some backlash. But if you're, you know, a student who can't afford to go to college, but college is available, but just, you know, sign up for our OTC program, then I feel like I'm definitely going to get killed after this podcast. But if you sign up for our OTC program, then uh, we can cut the cost for you. And if you volunteer, you volunteer. Scratch our back, scratch yours kind of a deal. Yeah. Hey, I love conspiracy theories, man. One thing I do want to say is... That's what I love to uh, debate. No disrespect to anybody in the military. I mean, no disrespect. I'm just offering a conspiracy theory. No. 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 None whatsoever. That's uh, anybody who chooses to serve. This nation owes them a debt of gratitude. And you need to, to make sure you say that to these veterans active reformer or whatever when you see that you see that guy with a world war ii hat on a walmart you can say thank you for your service the guy's not wearing a hat because he's ashamed of what he did he's wearing a hat because he's proud to serve you you can acknowledge that and say thank you you know a lot of my friends that were in the military you know they always find it awkward when people you know are saying thank you for your service because they always said to me you know what do you what do you say to something like that Mm -hmm. well you say you're welcome what would you say? I'd show him pictures on my phone. Like, look at this. <laughs> Wasn't this odd? Yeah, look at the size of this uh, gun. You know, look at the, the cool shit I got to do. All right, some, some are uh, comfortable to talk about it. Some aren't, and that's okay. I think we've done a good job. I mentioned this earlier podcast. I, I think we've done a good job in this country of being for the warrior, but against the war. You can be against any war, but as long as you're for the warrior. That's where we went wrong in the Vietnam War, and, and a lot of those guys never had a true homecoming that's stuck with them up to this day. That's uh, unacceptable, especially when someone's just drafted and they're just going off to do their job. Yeah. Well, you're, you're making them go do this. They're going to go do it, and you're going to come back and spit on them when they get off the plane? How would that feel? It feels like your whole nation turns its back on you. You know what? I had a conversation with somebody on Facebook a couple weeks ago. You know, I know this is kind of – not typical for a podcast, but let me tell you about it. I had this conversation with this uh, gentleman who was asking for help uh, modifying a game that he was on. He was part of the same community that, that I'm a part of. And he was asking for help, and he was saying, you know, I'll pay someone $20 if they can help me figure this out. And I said to him, you know, obviously you can see their pictures, and he was in uniform. I said to him, hey, I appreciate everything you guys do. He's like, you don't have to pay me anything. I'll just help you out. You know, I just, just as a thank you. And you know, he got offended that I did that. Hmm. I was just trying to, you know, show my gratitude. I'm not the one, you know, I live a good cushy life. I'm not out there doing the hard work. So I was just trying to help him and he got offended by it, you know? And for that, I mean, if you're somehow listening, I apologize. I didn't mean to mean that. Boy, that's, that's interesting. That wouldn't be the reaction you think you'd get. No, I just suspect him like, hey, I appreciate it, dude. Thanks. You know, this is what's going on. But he got mad at him for me trying to not take his money. Mm. Yeah, and that comes back to that could be a, a you know, personal work ethic kind of a deal. You were growing up to you do a job, you pay for it, a uh, sense of pride, whatever. Who, who knows? 
obviously he didn't mean it that way. And should they be listening? Thank you for your service. And I, I, th- I think this country needs to do more for these veterans. I mean, that, that, that parking lot, uh, uh, parking space in the front of Home Depot is a nice first step. Uh, I think we need to do more for these people. There's a lot of people that are, are veterans. Now, obviously, broad statement, duh, but veterans from the war on freedom or the war on terrorism that are, are right next door to you. You don't even know they're there. Very large percentage of, of men and women that served. And you don't even know they're there. And day to day, and you interact with them. And even now, I mean, look back, the Iraq war was 2003. That was almost 20 years ago. That's a pretty long time ago, you know, comparatively speaking. And the, the war with, with Afghanistan, that's the longest conflict this nation's ever had. I mean, almost 20 years. We won World War II for four. Produced a lot of veterans, a lot of trauma, a lot of wounds that need to be healed, whether you can see them or not. We have to be accepting of that and accommodating in them all the ways that we can. And, and that's, that's my two cents on that. But totally uh, shift gears. I just want to say I like Marcus's shirt today. Thank you. Thank you. It is uh, 80% sexy, 20% disgusting. That's, that's what it says. <laughs> I mean, I think my ratio is off a little bit. I think I'm personally 60-40, but I'll take it. Well, I mean, you're breaking even. You're more sexy than disgusting. Think so? Every, every guy, every guy and every, well, everybody, I mean, let's, let's face it, they're disgusting to an extent. And then guess what, guys and gals, when you move in with somebody, you learn things about them that you didn't know before. And you say, you do it that way? <laughs> or you see them uh, in different ways and you say, man. But guess what? They see you in the same light. <laughs> the best you know, part is these numbers change when people start drinking. Yeah. Yeah. It's on a sliding scale. They drastically change. But oh yeah, good old uh, beer goggles. Oh yeah. More, uh, <laughs> more things that uh, our young college guys and girls go through. Plenty of mistakes. Uh, don't drink and drive. All that jazz. But then again, the world's most dangerous drug which is alcohol proven time and time again in study after study. What's at every college party? What's all but encouraged in our culture? What is encouraged in our culture? I mean, there, there are beer ads in the Super Bowl, for Christ's sake. There are little kids watching that. Of course there are. Billboards. I mean, we're advertising the most dangerous drug in the world, statistically speaking. Advertising it? Let's call a spade a spade, and, and let's not skirt the issue and, and say it is what it is. Let's not pretend that it hasn't torn countless lives apart. No, I think that, you know, just like anything, if done in moderation, you're okay. Question for you. I know, how do you feel about alcohol, but uh, what about marijuana? Valid medicinal uses, safer than alcohol. Okay. In Pennsylvania, they brought up, I guess, Tom Wolf was calling last week for someone to send a bill to his desk to approved recreational marijuana and that he includes that the proceeds from the recreational pot could help bridge the gap between these people's uh, finances and business and uh, what they lost during Corona as a way to bolster the economy. Amen to that. So if it does go recreational, are you in? My two cents, alcohol kills 88,000 people a year. Tobacco kills almost half a million people a year. How on earth do I explain to my two-year-old why both of those things are sold at Sheets? 
How is that okay? Even you say moderate consumption of alcohol, that's one thing. I mean, it's still terrible, you know, for you. I've been proven time and time again, addictive, whatever. We can go down the list. But is there a moderate consumption of tobacco? Is there a safe consumption of tobacco? Or should that not be sold at all? That's a question. But as far as, as, far as medical weed, are you kidding me? Not addictive. No reported deaths in the history of mankind. Valid medicinal uses as evidenced by the state's medical marijuana program. Taxed revenue out the butt. It's safer than booze. It's going to cost us less. It's something people have wanted for years and years. Prohibition is based on erroneous information. Now's the time. Especially now is the time. Jobs? Would you rather have somebody go to college and get drunk at a keg party and pass out and get raped or murdered or robbed? Or have them go smoke a joint and, and fall asleep but still have their full faculties? They're just a little sleepy. Obviously, don't drive and do it. Don't drink and drive. But you don't lose complete control of your, your mind and body from marijuana. Get real. Do you know why marijuana is illegal? Uh, misinformation. Reefer Madness. Do you know who produced, um, not produced, but funded Reefer Madness? Well, do tell. Eli Whitney. Mm. Eli Whitney is the one that funded it. Eli Whitney was the first person, well, I shouldn't say the first person, but started, you know, mass producing cotton. Mm-hmm. And you know what they found to be stronger than cotton? Hemp fibers, folks. The whole ploy uh, was basically Eli Whitney masterminded this whole corruption on the marijuana industry. He helped fund the money for Reefer Madness, you know, all the, the negative programs that were against marijuana, all the, all the ads, all the propaganda for anti-marijuana. It was all Eli Whitney because he wanted to control the space. He wanted to control the money and got in politicians' pockets. And that is why – you can fact check me on this. That is why marijuana is illegal. And that – I did not know that. The validity of that today is what? But the problem is all of our old white politicians in charge, that's where they're getting their information. If you had someone that was young and progressive and, uh, dare I say, informed, uh, that had a, a brain and an opinion of their own and could critically think and not just regurgitate the same crap over and over again. It makes you think. If there was an extremely wealthy uh, person out there who found a way to mimic the effects of alcohol in a drink, but it was slightly worse for you. Essentially, you have the same thing going on. So if they got in the pockets of the politicians, they can make alcohol illegal and then make this drink okay, mm-hmm. even though it's slightly more damaging because that's the way it used to work. Mm-hmm. We'll see that change in our lifetime. Make no mistake. You can only keep the veil on uh, common sense and uh, scientific fact for as long as people are willing to put up with it. So I say to people, do your own research. That was a great little factoid there from my esteemed co-host. That was cool. I knew about all the, the reefer madness, but I never heard the, the, the connection between that damned Eli Whitney. It's all Eli. Let's invent a time machine and go back and take him out. Let's go back and kick his ass while we're mm-hmm. at it. Let's, uh, Let's stop some assassinations. Yeah, and let's invest in uh, Google.
Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah. You know, I ran across someone the other day. Uh, we were talking about Bitcoin. I believe he said that um, he used Bitcoin to buy a pizza when he was in college. But uh, this was about two weeks ago. He said that he once used the Bitcoin for a guy worked at a pizza shop and traded it with him for a pizza. And it was 10 Bitcoin. Do you know what 10 Bitcoin is worth now today? Mm. So the cost of Bitcoin right now for one is, well, first off, it's ever changing, but right now it's $10,299.76. For one Bitcoin? For one Bitcoin. Because the thing of it is, is that Bitcoin isn't, uh, it doesn't fall under anyone's jurisdiction. It's a digital currency and it's not affected, you know, by any, by any state's laws, mm-hmm. which makes it profitable. But one of those is over 10 grand. And this guy traded 10 of them for a pizza. Wow. What are the, what are the pizza, what did the person do with it? They're freaking rich. That being said, you know, if you're listening, uh, I'm not making fun of you. It's just that, um, you know, you told the story as a joke. So, you know, I'm retelling the story and I would have done the same in your situations back then when, you know, Bitcoin was only worth 50 cents. Now, can, can you print out a Bitcoin but it's, it's all digital. There is no all, Bitcoin. There's no Bitcoin. There's no physical coin that you can get. What the hell is it then? You know, I think as far as um, it's just a digital currency, you know, right now, the way our infrastructure is set up is all the money that we have in the United States, we actually don't have any paper money for. The good old Federal Reserve. You aware of that? Oh, the Federal Reserve, folks. If you don't know what Marcus is talking about, it's... Uh, all smoke and mirrors. Hey, burst your bubble. Look at your dollar bills at home, kids. Legal right. tender for all debts, public and private. It for ain't U- worth nothing. For the U.S. physical currency right now, it says $1.5 trillion. That's what they actually have. I got to tell you, but there's more than $1.5 trillion in our system. It's all digital. So what are we going to do when that digital means of, of banking fails? The Great Depression... You know, when the, all the stocks dropped to zero, everything went up. What's going to happen when, you know, now we don't have any money at all because of the banks? You know, what, what kind of cyber attack from another country is going to take all of our money away? Mm-hmm. And now with this generation, again, as, as myself growing up, 90s, aughts, early 2000s, whatever, you had money. Uh, you had a paper route. You got physical money, coins, dollar bills. There was some sense of wealth. You went to the bank and got a a check cashed, a paycheck cashed. Now money is just a number on a screen. It doesn't mean a damn thing to anybody. You never see it. It's it's just a number. There's really no sense of value to it at all anymore. And I I tell that to my son who's, who's two. He's got a piggy bank. He does something good. He gets a, a, a shiny quarter. I feel like a, a dirty old man, you know, <laughs> giving it to him. And he give you a shiny quarter. But he gets a little coin or whatever. He puts his piggy bank. He realizes that's worth something. He puts it away. How do you oh, this number on the screen now, son? This is what you work your entire life for. It can be taken away at any time. Screw that. Silver. You should invest in silver. At least have some silver or some tangible wealth in your uh, investment portfolio not that i am the guy to ask specifically about that but you got to have something you can put your hands on 
the end of the day. For those of us who you know, still live the college life, if you will, every time I get quarters you know, from the bank, I always cycle through and try to find the ones that are silver. And you know what? About uh, I'm gonna go a couple months ago, there, I got three uh, $10 rolls of quarters. And uh, those three $10 rolls, 90% of them were silver quarters. Silver. Ayo. Set those babies aside. So, I mean, really. Because they're worth something. Yeah. I mean, but right now you have everything, you know, that went on with the coronavirus. And frankly, what, what, what's going to happen again to the point where people are all going to be rushing to the banks to withdraw their money at the exact same time? You know, because something devastating just happened. They just, you know, just hacked into our, our bank systems. And, you know, we all got the message out. And everyone runs at once to get their money out. What are they going to do? They run on the banks. Happened in Venezuela. Happened in Greece. Happened in how many different countries? Just recently, you go to the bank and want your money. Well, DFB, the bank doesn't have that much money. It's funny money anyway. If you look at an old dollar bill, it will say silver certificate on it because you could go to the bank and say, I want this amount in silver. It was Everything was backed by silver. Now it's legal tender for all debts, public and private. It's funny money. It's monopoly money. So the Federal Reserve, that's an outside agency created in 1913. So they print our money and then at interest, we get that money and circulate it which is crazy. Do some research on the Federal Reserve and the real reason that started. Obviously, means of control, obviously means of keeping the rich richer and having no real value, this fake currency. And now with the virus, we're seeing this war on cash. How many places have you seen that don't accept cash anymore? Because cash is now dirty, bank cards only. And that's just one more way of taking any control away from you and putting it into the cloud, into the bank account, into the system, this, this virtual fantasy land where they have complete control and you don't. Having something tangible and physical in your hand, that's wealth. That's one thing. Hey, I got this. It's mine. <laughs> it's buried under the, the mattress or whatever. It's buried out in the yard in a jar. And that's old time. And you, you look at the people that live through things like the Great Depression, like your grandparents, great-grandparents, what are they, th were they still alive today? And some are. The old, but, but still that ethic is still there. They're not going to trust the bank. They're keeping the money they have because they've seen that run on the bank. Fool me once. <laughs> they've seen it. They've gone to the bank. There's nothing there. So you keep your money and you, you're, you're very cautious about it for good reason. And it's not a matter of if, it's a, it's a matter of when. Absolutely. And how, what this has done to local uh, businesses. I'll tell you who's not suffering from the coronavirus. Amazon. They're not suffering. They, they never to, deal in cash anyway. They had to buy another rake so they could break in the gold. Yeah. Who is Amazon? Have you ever met an Amazon employee? How long before you think uh, you know Jeff Bezos is the most richest man in the world? By the end of the sentence? I mean, give me a break. You know, because not only now, yes, everything's going to start going, you know, slowly back to normal and you're going to have people going to stores again. But how many people are going to have reliability of their Amazon? Like, I remember when you can go to the store and you couldn't get your things, but Amazon came through for me. 
right? So I'm going to continue to to shop Amazon. Biggest loyalty growth that's ever going to happen in America. You know, bigger than Walmart. Well, Walmart's well, Walmart screwed me over. I got to wear a mask in the store. They're closing early. I can't do this. They don't have things in stock. It's a pain in the ass to go in there. Yeah, good old Amazon never failed me. I'm going to vote for Amazon in 2020. I'm going to write Amazon in on my ballot. Never let me down yet. You got Amazon Prime, you're king of the world. You can have literally, virtually, whatever you want delivered to your door in 24 to 48 hours. That's unheard of. Do you know what the convenience of it is? Is, you know, back prior to, you know, just when COVID was starting, you know, already before this, I decided that I was going to start to part together and build my own computer. And uh, I'm looking online for, for prices and I see the parts that I want. It's like, okay, well, these parts are this bus buy. So I'm going to have to go here to get those. These parts are this bus buy. I'm going to have to go here to get the rest. Or, you know, they're online sources. They're out of stock on certain items. But here's Amazon that has everything at a, if not the same, cheaper price. Could all be put together in one box and shipped to me at the same time. And you don't even need to leave your home. Exactly. You click a button. Amazon Prime. It shows up the next day or the day after. You don't have to get in the car and drive somewhere. And dare I say, you don't have to go somewhere and interact with a human being and give the, uh, the nerd uh, that's just trying to get through high school or college to pay off those crazy college loans. He's just working at Best Buy just to get by. God bless him in the geek squad but you're not giving him business. He has to work for this horrible, evil corporation anyway. Uh, there are no independently owned anything anymore. Try to find an independently owned electronics store or computer shop. Yeah, right. But they make it so freaking easy that and people are so busy and so taxed today with going to work and going to school and all the crap required of people just to breathe. And they put you in this bottleneck then everything leads to Amazon and bam, there you go. And there's no exchange of cash with Amazon. I've never given Amazon uh, a dime of real money. I, I just give them a number on a screen. <laughs> now, if I was at the Amazon store in the neighborhood, and I'm counting out 20s at the counter, I'd say, Christ, put some of this crap back. <laughs> but when, you, but when you're, uh, you're going to check out on Amazon and you see the total, eh, it's just a number. It's, it's kind of like Amazon is using this time to get you addicted. To looking up anything that you want, you know, whether it's computer processor, you want to get snacks from another country because, you know, you're locked in and that'd be cool for your kids to do. And you get to just put all this stuff in your cart and just hit that buy now button. And it all just shows up at your door two days later or during the height of pandemic, four days later. You know, it's the their worst it's, case scenario. It's their time to get you addicted. And that's, well, because what else are you going to do? You're sitting at home working from home or you know, off of work. I remember there was a time where you just went outside and played with your friends and, you know, sat outside at night with a fire and just, just talked. That's from, from the dawn of man until the age of Amazon. That's how you met people. That's how you learned about jobs. That's how you uh, met your wife because you're talking to the neighbors, cousins, sisters, is single and they know you and they know you're a good guy 
now you're on Tinder or you're on whatever stupid website that's out there and you meet somebody and they're a psycho and they try to kill you on the first date. And that's, that's the world we live in. At least I'm married to someone who's has values from 1955, just like I do. <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't try to murder you in your sleep. No, but God bless my kid trying to date someone today, trying to meet someone today, how pretentious and self-centered and, and, and uh, you know, my God, narcissistic everyone is today with uh, taking pictures of themselves, which would be unheard of even 20 years ago. Absolutely. And uh, speaking of these great conversations you could have by the fire, nothing can be better than bringing out your speakers and syncing yourself up to a stereo, sit on the chair next to you, and listen to the Off the Hinges podcast while you're cooking your marshmallows. That is going to be all the time that we have for today. Thank you for listening. Please follow us on Twitter. Join our Facebook group. Share it with your friends. Share it with your family. Share it with your fucking dog walker. We'd appreciate it very much You know, if we just get this thing out and let people know that we're doing this. And we want to hear back from you. Please give us your two cents. Give us something to go off of. Let us know what you think. Are we hitting the mark? Are we anywhere near? Do you agree with us? you disagree? We'd like to hear what you think. So just, uh, you can share it with your comments on our Twitter or comment on our Facebook page. Uh, again, our Facebook page is just off the hinges. You know, if you search it, you're going to find us. Also, our Twitter is at off the hinges PC on Twitter. And let us know what you think. 